Um, ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain, from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and I will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow. From him every ruler, all of them together, they shall be like mighty men in battle. Trampling the foe in the mud of the streets, they shall fight because the Lord is with them and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them and they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord, their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall be it, shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in for I have redeemed them and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scatter them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt, and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon, till there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles, and strike down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. This is the word of God. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled, the sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined, the sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus said the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter, those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished, and those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I have become rich, and their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders, and I took two staffs, one I named Favor, the other I named Union. And I tended the sheep. In one month, I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, 
I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my star favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was prized by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord, to the potter. Then I broke my second staff in union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Wonderful to see you at church this morning. Um, if you've been uh, with us for some time, you'll notice that uh, we have new lights. And so you're looking very bright at church this morning. My, my eyes are just uh, uh, reeling from uh, the, the glory that's in front of me. Um, so welcome if you're a regular. Um, welcome also if you're joining us for the first time. I see a few new faces uh, around. And so if you are joining us for the first time, uh, wonderful that you're here. And uh, we hope that uh, this is the first of, of many times that you come and join with us. Uh, my name is Huey. Uh, I'm uh, one of the ministers uh, here in our parish. And uh, it's great to, to meet you. Um, please keep Zechariah uh, 10 and 11 open in front of you. Um, and I'm going to lead us in prayer and ask for God's help as uh, we uh, look at this uh, part of his word this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us uh, together today, and uh, thank you that you are the, the giver of rain uh, that we need. And uh, yeah, we thank you, Father, for the rain that we have today, uh, but even more for the opportunity to meet together as your people. Uh, Father, please be with those who are are unable to be here physically today because of sickness, uh, please give them healing and comfort. Uh, but uh, uh, we pray that uh, whether we are here physically or whether we are on Zoom, uh, that you would please help us to concentrate on the things that you say, uh, that we would hear your voice clearly, um, and that you would um, help us uh, to follow uh, the things that you say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, some years ago, there was a suggestion that we should have leaderless Bible study groups. Uh, we should have leaderless Bible study groups. Uh, it's probably a sign of the age we live in, uh, which is very suspicious of any kind of authority. But the suggestion was that we should have Bible study groups with no leaders, uh, where we simply turn up and discuss the Bible together. Uh, what do you think about that idea? Uh, would you be in favour of something like that? 
Uh, on the surface, it sounds like a very attractive thing, doesn't it? Uh, you know, we are all equal. Uh, we all have things we can contribute to the group. Uh, we all have the Holy Spirit, uh, if we are Christians, guiding us. And so what need is there for a leader? But it's a nonsense. For whether we assign a leader to a Bible study group or not, when a Bible study group, or any group for that matter, meets together, somebody will inevitably start to lead the group. Uh, it might be through uh, strength of personality, it might be through their knowledge, it might be through other factors, but if, even if you don't assign a leader to a group, a leader will emerge. And so the real question is not whether or not we have leaders, but whether the leaders we have are good leaders or bad leaders. Now, this morning we're looking at two chapters uh, in the book of Zechariah. Um, they're, they're long chapters, and so uh, I'll try my best to uh, help you to understand uh, these chapters. Um, but uh, I want you to see that our passage today is really all about leaders. Uh, you can see it in the reference to shepherds, uh, which was a common Old Testament way of speaking about leaders. Um, and so uh, in chapter 10, verse 2, for examples, uh, for example, you'll see that shepherds are mentioned at the beginning of the passage. It says, uh, chapter 10, verse 2, therefore the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. Uh, or if you turn to the end of the passage, uh, in chapter 11, verse 17, 11, verse 17, you can see that the passage ends by mentioning shepherds again. Uh, it says, woe to my worthless shepherd. Who are the leaders that you follow? Where are they leading you? Are they leading you to spiritual life? Or are they leading you to spiritual death? Are they good leaders? Or are they bad leaders? It's a very important question uh, we're dealing with this morning. Well, uh, if we turn to the passage itself, I want to suggest that the big point of chapter 10, uh, the first chapter, is that God will restore his people through good leaders. God will restore his people through good leaders. Uh, if you remember in the book of Zechariah, uh, the people of God uh, were still living, in a sense, in the exile, uh, through the hardships of exile, even though they had returned to the city of Jerusalem. And so God has been promising, as we've been seeing, that uh, he's going to restore them. However, in chapter 10, God says how he will do it. He will restore them by sending them good leaders. Now, uh, chapter 10 develops in uh, three parts. And so uh, follow the logic with me. Uh, firstly, God tells his people to trust him rather than idols. Uh, you can see it there in chapter 10, verse 1, can't you, where God's people are instructed to ask God for rain. Uh, we probably don't want to ask God for any more rain. Um, but, you know, when we read things like this, it seems like a bit of a no-brainer to us, doesn't it? Because uh, we know that God is the one who controls uh, all things in this world, uh, including the clouds and the rain. But if you remember, 
The sorry history of Israel was that they were a people who often turned away from God uh, into the worship of idols, to trust in idols. Uh, That's why in this passage, God speaks about the stupidity of trusting in idols for their lives and for their future. Uh, Notice in verse 2, he says that the household gods utter nonsense. And the diviners who are associated with the gods only see lies and tell false dreams as they tell people their future. In the end, God says that they give empty consolation. Uh, The word empty there uh, is simply the word for mist. You know, like uh, the mist that builds up on your windscreen on a cold day? It's kind of there one minute and then when you turn the fan on, it it kind of disappears. Uh, That's the kind of consolation and hope that uh, these future tellers are giving the people of Israel. Uh, You see, God has always hated the practice of turning to diviners to tell the future. Of course, we don't uh, worship little statues anymore, and uh, we don't go to idol temples to seek out diviners to uh, tell our future for us. But make make no mistake, friends, we still live in a world where people turn to all sorts of things in order to try to discern their future. You see it in people desperately reading their star signs, for example. You see it in people, um, particularly uh, in in Asian countries, going to see fortune tellers. You see it in people who try to gaze into crystals in the New Age movement, try to discern something about their future. It's not only utter stupidity to think that a rock can tell you your future, but it's actually uh, far more serious than that because it is idolatry. It is putting your trust in created things rather than the creator himself, you see. But why does God tell his people to ask him for rain here? Well, uh, if you have a look at uh, last week's passage in chapter 9, verse 17, have a look at chapter 9, verse 17, uh, you can see there that God has been speaking about um, the new creation in terms of an abundance of grain and an abundance of new wine. And so the reason why God tells his people to trust him for rain rather than the idols is because it is by trusting God in the day-to-day details of life, even things like asking for rain, that you will find yourself ultimately in the kingdom of heaven. But secondly, notice that God says he will replace the bad leaders of Israel with good ones. Uh, For if you remember, it was actually the bad leaders of Israel, um, you know, rotten kings and uh, corrupted priests and prophets. Uh, They were the ones who led the people of Israel into idolatry and immorality and sin. And so you can see there in verse 3 that God says his anger burns hot against these bad leaders, these bad shepherds, and he will punish them 
Because notice, he really cares for his flock. And yet here's the thing. Notice that God says he will raise up new leaders for his people from the tribe of Judah. In verse 4, he says that from him, that is from Judah, will come the cornerstone. From him, the tent peg. From him, the battle bow. Now, I want you to see that these are all images of of leadership in the Bible. Uh, The cornerstone was um, that stone that supported every other stone in the building. Uh, If you've ever played a game of Jenga, you know, it's that critical piece (laughs) that holds everything else up. And if you take it it out, um, everything else crumbles. That's the cornerstone. Um, It's a symbol of stability, isn't it? For good leaders are stable in character and able to hold others up. The tent peg was the thing that kept the tent anchored to the ground. Uh, It was a symbol of reliability because, you know, when the wind blows, uh, you need the peg to reliably hold the tent in place so it doesn't blow away. Uh, You see, good leaders are reliable people. That's why a good indicator of whether someone is a good leader or not is whether they turn up to things on time. Have you noticed that? You know, we often joke when people consistently turn up late to meetings saying, oh, you know, they're just running on Korean time or they're running on subcontinental time or African time or whatever it is. But those who consistently turn up late to things are not reliable. In the end, not loving. And therefore, will make poor leaders. However, notice, friends, that the third image is of a battle bow. In fact, verse 5, if you have a look, is very violent, isn't it? It speaks of trampling the foe. It speaks of fighting a battle. It speaks of putting people to shame. In many ways, it seems quite jarring to us to kind of move in this chapter from images of leaders as shepherds to leaders who are kind of trampling on people's heads. But that's because we don't actually know what it is to be a shepherd. You know, we are so used to seeing airbrushed pictures of Jesus as a shepherd sort of frolicking among the sheep and looking as though he wouldn't hurt a fly, that we don't understand that shepherds were the ones who fought for their sheep. You know, if wolves attacked, it was the shepherd who would need to fight them and tear them to pieces if he was going to protect his sheep, you see. And so good leaders are also fighters. They fight for their sheep. They pray for their sheep. They protect their sheep against the wolves who come with false teaching. They sometimes even have to fight with their sheep in order to help them from putting themselves in danger. But the third point of chapter 10 is that God will send these good leaders to his people. Why? Well, in order to restore his people once again. Uh, I won't go through the rest of chapter 10 in in great detail, 
in the interest of time. But notice that it's all about restoring God's people again. Uh, in verse 6, God will strengthen his people because God is compassionate in his character. God will uh, restore his people from exile as though he had not rejected them. In verse 8, God will gather his people who have been scattered. He will redeem them. In verse 11, he uses salvation imagery from the Exodus, saying that he's going to part the, the sea again so that his people can walk through and know salvation once again. You see, the point is that God is going to restore his people once again through good leaders. Now, friends, if you know the history of what happens after the time of Zechariah, you will know that the people of God continue to suffer under bad leadership again and again and again. These leaders didn't care for their, for their people. In fact, rather than leading people to God, these leaders led the people to sin and degeneracy and idolatry. And so roughly 500 years after the time of Zechariah, God sends Jesus to the nation of Israel. And do you remember the time when Jesus comes and he feeds uh, the 5,000? What does he feel when he sees the crowd before him? Well, in Mark chapter 6, it says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw, a, he saw that great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus is God's good shepherd. He is God's good leader from the tribe of Judah who has come to show compassion on his sheep. He is the cornerstone who provides stability for his people. He is the tent peg who is reliable and can be trusted. He is the battle bow, 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 <laughs> uh, who fights for his people. He is the one who strengthens and restores and saves his people. And unlike other leaders who take advantage of the sheep for their own benefit, well, Jesus is the one who comes humbly, if you remember from last week, riding on a donkey to lay down his very life for his sheep so that his scattered people, people like you and me, might once again be gathered to God. But we still live in a time when there are bad leaders, don't we? It's not only that we can be led by bad leaders who teach false things, false teachers, in other words, but there are no shortage of leaders and voices in our world who try to lead us into idolatry and immorality and sin, which is why God also gives the gift of other leaders in the church who are entrusted with the role of caring for the sheep so that they do not go astray. Uh, these are leaders such as pastors. These are leaders such as growth group leaders. 
you know, they can never replace Jesus, who is the great shepherd of his sheep, of God's people. But these leaders are to be under shepherds. In fact, uh, I don't know whether you realize, but the word pastor just means shepherd. Because uh, a pastor is an under shepherd, under the great shepherd. And these men and women are to be stable and reliable and trustworthy people who are willing to fight for the sheep that they are to protect. They are to be like Jesus in being willing to lay down their lives to serve the sheep. They are not to be like other leaders in this world who are only in it for themselves. They are to humbly lay down their very lives for the sake of others. Uh, When I was involved in university ministry, I used to say to the young women, um, if you're looking for a husband, uh, look for a man who stacks the chairs without being asked. Uh, I noticed that whenever I said this after the meeting, there was not one single man who didn't stack the chairs. But the point is that good leaders whom God gives to the church are not the ones who are in it for themselves. They're the ones who humbly serve others without having to be asked, willing to lay down their lives for the sheep. Uh, I think we have great leaders who are like this uh, in our church family. Uh, I thank God regularly uh, for the team of leaders that, that God has given to us. And so my encouragement to you is to look after the leaders that God has given us as a gift Uh, Pray for them, thank God for them, follow them as they follow Jesus and desire to be like them as they desire to be like Jesus. For it is a wonderful thing in God's eyes to desire to be a leader of God's people. And boy, is there a need for good leaders, not only in our church, but uh, in the church all over the place. Well, uh, if chapter 10 is all about God sending good leaders, uh, to put it simply, chapter 11 is about God punishing bad leaders. But the interesting thing about chapter 11 is that God tells Zechariah to sort of um, become an actor. He's asked to do some play acting, if you will. Now, the very important thing you need to understand is that these play acts are meant to reenact things that have happened in Israel's history or Israel's past. And so you can see there in verse 4 that Zechariah is to play the role of the shepherd of God's flock who are doomed for slaughter. In other words, Zechariah is to play the role of God as the good shepherd, but God in his capacity as the judge who will slaughter his very own people. Uh, why will God, why will the people of God be slaughtered? Well, it's because of the bad leaders of Israel, isn't it? Uh, In verse 5, these leaders are described there as buying and selling the sheep and profiting from them. 
Uh, what's worse is that these leaders profit from the people by mistreating them. But they also have the audacity to attribute their growing wealth to God, saying, you know, blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. Now, if you know the history of Israel, you'll know that God did not judge his own people immediately. Uh, in fact, God was uh, overly patient with his sinful and idolatrous people, despite the bad leaders and the sin of the people themselves. Uh, that's why in verse 7, uh, did you notice that uh, in Zechariah's play acting, um, he is told to take two staffs, two wooden staffs. One is called favour and the other one is called union. Because time and time again, God showed favour to his people. And time and time again, God kept his people united, even though he ought to have obliterated them. But notice that in this play act, God's patience runs out. And it's not simply because they, the people of Israel had bad leaders, but it's because the people of Israel themselves were no better than their leaders, you see. For in verse 8, notice that it says that the people detested God. And so God's patience runs out. It runs out in the period of the exile. Uh, in verse 8, God says, in one month I destroyed the three shepherds. Now, uh, what's Zechariah talking about there? I, I think what he's talking about is um, during the period of the exile, God extinguished the three leadership roles in Israel, uh, the role of king, the role of prophet, and the role of priest. They were all destroyed. Uh, further, in verse 9, notice that God says, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And, and let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. Uh, you know, I, I don't know whether you know, but when the Babylonians... Um, came to lay siege uh, on the city of Jerusalem, um, they prevented food from entering the city of Jerusalem. And the people of Jerusalem were so hungry and so desperate that parents started to eat the flesh of their very own children. Uh, that's what this is talking about here. Now, if that was not horrible enough, the exile was basically the time when God divorced his people because of their sin. That's why in verse 10, Zechariah is told to take that staff called favour and break it. Because God is no longer going to show you favour. And in verse 14, God is told to break the staff called union because without favour from God, there is no union among his people. But here's the strange thing. Notice in verse 12, God tells Zechariah to tell the people to give him his wages. And how much do the people give to Zechariah? Well, they give him 30 pieces of silver, don't they? Which Zechariah then takes and, and kind of throws into the temple in disgust. Now that's a bit strange, isn't it? Uh, what's going on here? 
Well, the thing you need to remember here is that Zechariah is playing the role of God as the good shepherd. And so when the people give 30 pieces of silver to Zechariah, this is the amount at which the people are valuing God himself, you see. Now, it's not that those 30 pieces of silver was a small amount of money. In fact, it was a a large amount of money back in those days. Uh, In fact, in, in the Old Testament, 30 pieces of silver was actually the price that you would pay to to buy a slave. But it's just that valuing God for any amount of money is actually an insult to him. It's a bit like if I went up to one of my daughters and asked her, you know, um, how, how much am I worth to you? How much would you give me for all that I have done for you? And... Uh, Imagine if one of my daughters went upstairs to her bedroom and took out $50 from her piggy bank and uh, gave it to me saying, Dad, uh, this is how much I value you. I mean, it's not a small amount of money, particularly for her. But any amount of money is an insult, isn't it? For what I desire from her is not her money, but her love her heart. And so, because the people of Israel value God on such pitiful terms, God says that he will judge them by giving them the kind of leaders they deserve. Now, you can see it there in verse 15, can't you, where Zechariah is told to play act, not the role of the good shepherd, not the role of God anymore, but he's told to act the role of the foolish shepherd, the, the, the corrupt leader that God will send to his people. Notice that these are the kind of leaders who will not care for the sheep, but take advantage of them for their own selfish ends. Now, uh, you know that in the history of Israel, this is exactly what happened. God gave his people exactly the kind of leaders they deserve. You see, we see it even in our own day, don't we? When people reject God, they get exactly the kind of leaders they deserve. And so God gave them the king of Babylon, who came and destroyed many of them. He gave them Cyrus, the king of Persia, who took advantage of them. But not only did God give them bad foreign kings who oppressed them, but he gave them bad domestic leaders, religious leaders who kind of, you know, looked religious on the outside, looked like they would care for the people of God, but inside were ravenous wolves who were only in it for themselves, you see. But here's the wonderful thing, friends. Notice that chapter 11 ends on a great note of hope. We've seen that God gives his people the leaders they deserve. But look there in verse 17, and notice that God says that he's going to judge the worthless shepherds who desert the flock. And he will restore his people once again by undoing all the um, awful things that are mentioned in chapter 11. 
It's striking, Ben, that when we come to the New Testament, we see Jesus as the great fulfillment of this hope. If you remember, when Jesus comes, he starts to judge and punish the religious leaders of his day who value Jesus at 30 pieces of silver, which they pay to Judas in order to betray him. Ironically, while 30 pieces of silver in the Old Testament is the price of a slave, Jesus goes to the cross as a slave or a servant. For he is the kind of leader who came not to be served, but to serve, to be a slave, and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. You see, he is the one who has come as God's great leader, who pays the ransom price to set people like you and me free from the penalty and power of sin in our lives. Notice how beautifully Jesus also reverses God's judgment, uh, which is mentioned in chapter 11. Uh, In verse 8, we saw that God destroyed uh, the office of of, uh, prophet, priest, and king. Uh, When Jesus comes, he comes as God's prophet who speaks God's word. He comes as God's uh, great high priest who sacrifices his very own life for us. And he comes as the king of God's kingdom. Uh, In the play Acts that we have seen, God breaks his favor with his people and breaks his union with his people. When Jesus comes, it's almost like he puts those staffs back together. He starts showing favor to his people. And he starts uniting his people, both Jew and Gentile. People who can now be forgiven and receive eternal life through the cross. You see, in Jesus, we have a great shepherd who will not lead us like the other leaders of this world, who lord it over others and who are in it for themselves, but a great leader and shepherd who cares for his sheep. Jesus is the one who cares for you. Jesus is the one who cares for us, even though we have detested God and rejected God and sometimes even bitten the hand of the one who feeds us. He is the one who cares so much that he laid down his life for sinful sheep like us, that we may be restored to God and his kingdom. Indeed, he is the great shepherd of God's people and a great leader that we do not deserve, but whom God has kindly given to us. And so, my brothers and sisters, will you follow Jesus as your great shepherd? If you are a Christian here, how are you going in following Jesus as your great shepherd? Are you listening to his voice in the scriptures? Are you working out how you can obey him as he guides you and leads you into the promised land of heaven? Or are you resisting him? 
constantly trying to work out a different path to the one that he wants. But if you are here and you are not yet a Christian, then will you follow Jesus as your good shepherd? To reject Jesus doesn't mean that you don't have other leaders in your life. It simply means that you will be led by leaders and ways in this world that will only end in judgment from God rather than his favour. And so make no mistake, it's not a question of whether you have leaders or not. It's a question of whether your leaders are good or bad. Follow Jesus as your good leader, as your good shepherd, the one who has come to show you compassion, to bring you forgiveness, and to bring you into eternal life itself. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning from Zechariah. Uh, thank you for reminding us of our need for a good shepherd who will lead us to life rather than death. Uh, thank you that even though we don't deserve such a shepherd, you have given us a shepherd that we don't deserve in Jesus. Uh, Father, thank you that he laid down his life for us as his sheep and continues to be re reliable and trustworthy and powerful in protecting us as his, as his people. Now, Father, we do thank you that in your kindness you also give to your church leaders who will be able to point us to Jesus. Uh, what a great and precious gift it is to have good leaders in our church. I thank you for the leaders of our own church here, and in particular our growth group leaders who work so hard at teaching and uh, rebuking and correcting and pointing us to Jesus each week. And we pray that you would encourage them and sustain them so that they might serve Christ joyfully and for the benefit of the flock. And we also pray that there will be many more people growing in maturity and reliability in our congregation whom you will raise up as future leaders as well. Uh, for we pray this for Jesus' sake and for his kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.